quarterfinals are wrapped up and JNT, unfortunately, we did not get the results that we wanted. Uh, the East pretty much just taking over. We got three LCK teams left, one LPL, and Europe and North America are gone. Unfortunately, Mad Lions went down in a fashion we didn't want to see. Same thing with Cloud9. This is episode 63 of the Clown Fiesta podcast with Blue Jay and JNT250. JNT, any initial thoughts? Any sorrows? Any Anything, honestly. We ran out of opium, dude. Unlucky. Yeah. We just that, ran that, out. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, you know what, though? So just thinking about the whole hopium thing, it lasted pretty long, <laughs> I yeah, think, right? I think. So, so not all bad. Um, and thinking about uh, how Cloud9 came into the tournament, not bad, right? Uh, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make it hurt any less, though, once the final team goes down. Yeah, I mean, I think most people expected... I think the, 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 the bottom of the bar was just for Mad Lions to make it out initially. Uh, and then, you know, I think people were slowly starting to gain more and more traction around Fnatic. And then obviously the whole upset thing happened. And, you know, then people kind of realized that, okay, Fnatic's probably not going to make it out of this group. And then nobody thought that any of Rogue or Cloud9 was going to make it out of Group A. And then everyone was like, well, 100 Thieves is dead in the water in Group B. And then... Know, TL probably isn't going to make it out with the way that LNG was looking in the play-in stage. So to get two teams out from the West, I think overall, like that to me is better than my expectations coming into the group stage. So I'll take it. The only, the only area that I differ from you, I think, is the whole Mad Lions thing. Because I think, remember when we were doing like tier lists? It wasn't just our own. A lot of people had Mad Lions pretty high up on the tier list. And so I don't think the expectation was just for Mad Lions to get out of group. Maybe after week one, once they start off one and two, I would say the the expectations lowered a little bit. Yeah, um, but I mean, part I of think it before that. Part right? of it's would also you say before that their expectations were a little bit higher than quarters. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't saying relative to what happened. I think you know, I think yeah, coming into it, I think semifinals was probably the goal for Mad Lions, but you know. The way that the group stage kind of played out with them getting the second seed, not the first seed, really hurt their chances because of drawing into Damwon. And I think going up yeah, against Damwon, true, true. a, a yeah. win would have been taking it to five games or even winning it. Like, I, I, like I, I said this last episode, I was expecting a 3-0 stomp. And yeah. yeah, no, you make a really good point because, yeah, pr like expectations prior to the tournament doesn't have you necessarily going up against Damwon in quarterfinals. So as soon as you're up against Damwon... That's where your tournament expectations end pretty much right there. Yeah. Um, and, and overall, with quarterfinals, I'll, I'll say it, not that good to me. I, there was a lot of stomps. Even the one series that was competitive, I would say the games were pretty one-sided. And so, I, look, I'm always hyped for Worlds, and I'm still going to be hella hyped for, for semis. But I will say a little bit disappointing, disappointing on the quarterfinals, wouldn't you say? Yeah, there was definitely... There was a the, the series were very one sided for the most part. Even within those three O series, there were a couple close games. Um, I mean, C9 and Genji game three was pretty close. Mad versus Dam one game two was pretty close, but for the most part, Hama Life C9 and Mad Lions got their shit kicked in. Yeah. So okay, let's get into some of the series. Before we do that, shout out to Tex in the live chat. Thank you for the prime. And uh, I guess on that note, remember to hit the subscribe button even if you're on YouTube. Um, because, well, we come out with an episode every week. So let's get into the series. We'll start with today's series. We're recording this 
just a couple of hours after Z9 fell to Gen G. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I guess I want your take on it. For me, I wasn't surprised by this. How surprised slash not surprised were you from this one, uh, JT? I wasn't necessarily surprised with, you know, kind of how the games went and, you know, what the strong points of the Gen G side was because we came into the series knowing, yes, Perks is a very good player, but, like, let's not... Let's not joke around here. BDD has been absolutely stomping the tournament. I would put forward the case that right now he's probably like one of the top three to five players at the tournament right now. Um, in mid lane, pretty much only behind Showmaker. And to, in my opinion, it'd be fairly hard to pass Showmaker. And I think BDD is doing as much as he can to try to pass him, but I don't think he's there yet. But we knew that Genji was going to roll mid lane, and we knew that Ruler was most likely going to have an advantage in the bot side. But the crazy thing to me was the sort of the game plan that Cloud9 took with this series. Like game one, we saw a very you know big switch up and you know bot lane priority with Cloud9 early picking the Ziggs, and then you pick the Ziggs bot lane, and you're still like going to fight like level one uh, against Aphelios Lulu, who have a very good level one in comparison to your mm -hmm. level one Ziggs, which does absolutely nothing. Sure, you have Nautilus, but when Vulcan is getting chunked to two-thirds HP or one-third HP and then missing your second hook, like you're just going to kind of die every time. And, you know, I didn't really like a whole lot of the drafts. I mean, I thought the game one draft was, it was pretty just like YOLO for the most part. Like they were just banking on the fact that Perks and Blabber were going to be able to survive early game and then kind of tear through the mid game. And, you know, if C9 hadn't lost the early game so hard in that game, like maybe they do win that game because in the middle of game one, they did find that perfect team fight where they got like basically two massive uh, Jarvan EQs with multiple man knockups into Yasuo ulti to sort of even the game state. But for the most part, like Cloud9 was behind and far behind in almost every early game. Yeah, okay, so forget the results, right? Just looking at the draft before the game starts, what are the words that came out of your mouth or what are your thoughts as soon as you saw, like, Ziggs and, and Yasuo and J4? What, what are you thinking when you see this? Well it, well, it basically just told me that, like, they're picking Ziggs and it's like, okay, well, we're playing weak side, so that means we're just going to be trading bot side for top side. And, you know, that was one of the main points was, like, are we going to give Ruler a free lane? And we did in that game, and we saw what happened. Ruler just ran over the game, despite mm -hmm. the massive attempts by Cloud9 to dive him with the Lee Sin kick, with the Jarvan EQ, with the SOR, and throwing the Zigzar on top of that. Like, apart from one time where they actually did get that full combo off on Ruler, like any half-ass attempt or any sort of missed engage by Cloud9 would result in Ruler just killing everybody, or at least chunking everybody with the Infernomar. We saw that one topside fight where Cloud9 went on like one member in sort of like a three v one type of fashion sure cloud got the first call to fight but you saw ruler get like a four man inferno multi and they just absolutely rolled them and that was one of the things coming into it which we were wondering like is cloud nine going to leave zona island have vulcan roam around and if so you have to make those successful plays if you want to play like that so the whole game plan from cloud nine just didn't really make a lot of sense to me because i think other than mid lane like cloud nine individually doesn't match up too badly against the rest of their players i think you could argue c9 even had an advantage in top side you know, obviously, you know, jungle is still, I would say, you know, favored towards Clid and bot lane, maybe slightly, slightly favored towards life and ruler. Should you give them comfortable champions and calm lane states where they're just going to run you over in the 2v2? And they pretty much just gave Gen G what they wanted. And Cloud9 was like all in on this team fight comp. Yeah. So, okay. Anyways, back to the thing that I was trying to mention about the draft. For me, when I saw that, I was like, uh oh. 
Like, I, I, there's no world to me where you could put Zven on Ziggs and me feel okay with that. Because, well, as we even saw later in the series, and as we've seen time and time again, he gets picked off all the time. And Ziggs is a champion where your positioning matters a lot. He's very susceptible to getting picked off. And, I mean, that's exactly what you're going to get when you put Zven on Ziggs. We even saw later on in the series, I think it was game three, where Zven got picked off by the Lee Sin. They, they spot Lee Sin flanking. They know he's there. You see Perks with Banshees on, so, like, he can face check a brush. Perks walks towards him trying to find the Lee Sin and get Vision on so that they can stop the flank from being successful. And Zven sits there in the middle of the lane and gets kicked into the team and obviously dies immediately. I think he was playing Misfortune. Was he yeah, playing Misfortune this, in that this, game? Yeah, this was game three where he swung MF. And how many times, even if we go back to the series against 100 Thieves, before in, what would that have been? It, Losers, bracket semis, finals. or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Semis, yeah. quote-unquote, even though it's not like... Yeah, 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 I didn't know what to call it. But anyways, the series against 100 Thieves, we saw him get picked off by Lee Sin all the time. And now let's remember that those were amazing kicks by Closer. But the point stands that you know Zven is susceptible to be picked off. And then you're drafting Ziggs for him. So right off the bat, from game one, I was like, this is not a good sign. Not at all. To, to play devil's advocate to that, though, I think most people will say that Gen G is a very slow team and they play by the book. Is that fair to say, JNT? Yeah. So if you're going up against a team that's good at playing that style, maybe it makes sense to try to turn the game into a fiesta and, and no pun intended and you actually just try to make a mess of the game to take gen g off of their game if that is the strat that you bring into this series i am totally fine with that because for me i know not for everyone but for me cloud nine was huge underdogs coming into the series huge underdogs so i actually don't mind that if if that's their approach then i don't mind it but i mean i don't know what their their plans were obviously yeah i guess i definitely agree with that like if that was going to be the game plan that they went for uh, it makes a lot of sense, and I think we really saw that in Game 3. But the thing that I find diff much different from Game 3 than Game 1 is with their Game 1 draft, it's like, sure, we're going for this very early to mid-game snowball -y type comp, which makes sense. You, you, you get the right play, you get the right fight, and you can snowball the early game off of that. But it requires, you know, a ton of, a ton of coordination beforehand when it comes to vision and actually executing your plays. Whereas in this Game 3 comp, which they had, you just have much more powerful champions individually which allows you to get stuff like lane prio get you river control which then gets you those you know extra little mini advantages that usually result in better team fight success when you have the proper vision setup when you have like well-timed summoner spells and you're up in teleports because you know you're forcing the enemy to tp early into lane i think that was the big that was the big kind of difference in this series for me was cloud9 was constantly getting pushed out in their solo lanes just simply 1v1 and they were having to burn their teleports early to get back into lane, whereas Genji would save those TPs and use them to make a play somewhere else on the map. I can't. I think, I think like four or five times this series, we saw Perks or Budge TPing back to their lane at like level three, level four, and then BDD would use his TP to either TP into the top side jungle or TP into the bot side jungle and just dive the lane. And then like yep. like Fudge got absolutely destroyed both in game one and game uh, not game one, sorry, in game two and in game three with early game tower dives, where BDD was up in teleport, TP'd into Cloud9's blue side jungle, and just dove him top lane, and he would lose a stacked wave, and then he was already yep. instantly down 15 CS early into the lane. No, that, that's a very good point, because I uh, that's what I thought as well. It, it's So a lot of people will see top lane being dived, and they'll think, oh, well, you know, he didn't have good wave management, and the other guy was able to build a wave top and dive him. 
sometimes that's the case. But in this case, specifically in game two, it's not really the case because you're losing lanes, right? You have losing lanes. Like if you have the losing lane, you can't really dictate how the lane is going to go. The guy winning the lane is the one who gets to dictate how the waves work. And not only that, uh, this is similar to what I talked about last week with Abadage. I mentioned Abadage was losing lanes quite often. And then what would happen is he would have to TP back to lane, like you just mentioned, and his lane opponent would TP to one of the other lanes. They would have a dive and a man advantage because mid laner can't follow. And then you start to lose the game like that. That's exactly what happened here with perks on the, on the Silas. He was just getting hard gapped by BDD on the Syndra, which, I mean, we can go on about BDD Syndra for days. It's good. And it absolutely stomped perks. And I think you lost the game purely because of a mid gap right off the bat. Yeah, and that's what, like, the Game 2 draft, I just really was not a fan of whatsoever because I think the one place that you could argue Cloud9 had their only advantage is the top lane, and to just put Fudge on, like, a very passive Malphite pick in addition to a losing lane mid lane and a slower clearing jungle and the Poppy versus the Lee Sin just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because, you know, it was fairly obvious that, like, Fudge was going to get, you know, dove early on. Like, you could know that regardless of if you saw a wave crashing, if you saw that BDD had TP advantage, like, that's just the way it's going to go. And, and I definitely understand, like, Malphite might have fit into that comp better. Or, you know, I think both Cloud9 and a lot of other teams perceive Malphite to be a counterpick to Graves. And maybe that's true for, like, the longer the lane goes on and the more, like, when Malphite's able to build Bramble Vest and able to get his, you know, right. his choice of, you know, Sunfire Cape item, not a, a Bomby Cinder item. But, you know, in the early levels, we saw what happened. Graves just pushes you in. You get a wave stacked on you. You either call the enemy jungler up to push you off the wave, or you die to the dive from jungler in mid. And the weird thing about it to me is that, like, we know it's going to happen. All the analysts are saying it's going to happen. Like, everyone knows this is going to happen. So you have to imagine Cloud9 knows this is going to be the game plan for Gen G. Where I'm a little bit confused is where they thought that they could stop it from happening. You know what yeah. I mean? That's what... Because I... People... I... I People need to know that Cloud9 knows this is going to happen. This isn't like, oh, whoops, we forgot draft gap. They're probably like, look, they're going to play towards top and they're going to die because Graves can dictate the wave no matter how he wants against the Malphite. Fine. But our plan is this. From the viewer perspective, I can't see what that plan was. And that's what's really weird to me. Like you could have your top or your jungler path topside, but he can't live up there. He can't just stay like once he clears all of his topside camps, he can't just chill and hang out there. He's going to fall behind if he just has to babysit his top lane. And now you've got a jungler that's behind. So Yeah, and that was also the problem with having just the slower clearing jungler. Because when you have a jungler who can clear fast, <laughs> yeah. especially in the early game, like he can yeah. make those you know 10 to 15 second sacrifices where, hey, I've cleared all my camps way faster than the enemy. There might be no crabs to fight for. There might not be any more jungle camps I have to take. There might be no dragons alive. There might be no rift herald alive. Like, now I just go protect my lanes. And you really it's saw weird, that, right? Like, like, you just saw Blabber was slower on the clear. He was also pathing away from Clid's Lee Sin in that game because he's Poppy. He's going to lose this early game fight against this Cocker Lee Sin. And, you know, it was just like, it felt like two minutes in advance. We knew exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, the Poppy felt useless, and it's supposed to be really good against Lee Sin, obviously. You get grounded as Lee Sin whenever you try to engage on someone with a Poppy there. It just, it never came to that. Clid had a great series, and honestly, I yeah, think he he's played been insane. having a really good tournament. Like, his Lee Sin is great, um, so you got to give props there. I Is there any lane that Cloud9 outperformed? No. No, right? Nope. Not in this series, <laughs> yeah. not at all. I, I, you would think Yikes. top lane, but, I mean, 
I don't think like Fudge necessarily got like outclassed one v one like I think mid and yeah. bot lane did. I think Fudge was just kind of a byproduct of the rest of the map losing. Um, but I mean, Fudge had a pretty good. Uh, he had a pretty good game overall in that first game, despite the loss uh, in the Jarvan mm -hmm. versus Cannon matchup. Um, yep. But in sort of games two and three, he was he was fairly useless. Yeah, and and then let's get to game three. Game three is like okay, there's some life. We have a lead. And then even though you've managed to quote unquote shut down BDD, he still lands a bubble on Sven for the final, like the game yeah. swinging team fight. Right. Yeah. And uh, in both team fights, just Sven had like both summoners up. I think like he had at least flash in both of those fights. I, I think what bothered me the most about that specific fight where he gets hit by the bubble and then he just gets recon comboed and well melted. I think what bothers me is that Cloud9 has all of the control of River and Gen G rotates from mid towards the blue side. Like you always have to choose your path towards the dragon, right? When you're going to contest and the other team has control. So Cloud9 has control. Gen G all goes towards blue. So you're like, all right, like you should be able to shift over and set up vision over there before Gen G could get there. Gen G just kind of walked up and got vision and River without really being poked or anything mm -hmm. by Cloud9 without being engaged on. And which leaves BDD the ability to hit a bubble on anyone. It could be your AD carry, it could be your it could be anyone. So not the fact that he got hit, although I still think you should be hiding behind a tank as you're walking through river. What bothered me the most is that Genji is able to even get to that point when the whole map or when that whole portion of the map should be dark. And uh, that's where the game swings. I mean, as soon as you lose your AD carry before the fight even really starts. Genji had a total turnaround of the game. I think Cloud9 was up, what, like 4K or something like yeah, that? Yeah, they, they were almost up 5K, but that basically just kind of gave them Mountain Soul. And then the next team fight set up right after is is the play where Clid got the, the, the flank kick onto Sven, and the game was just over yeah. after that. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing, too. Even though Cloud9 had the gold lead, all the drags were on the side of Genji. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, but I mean, that's say? that's something that we're really seeing at Worlds is we're we're seeing you know less prioritization around early Drakes and more towards Rift Heralds and teams will opt for hey we're gonna take the first two Rift Heralds but we're gonna be the team up three to four k in gold yeah. and then it's on us to sort of take control of the rest of the game and therefore like get at least even back into Dragons because normally you'll see the first two Drakes sacrificed for the first two Rift Heralds and normally somewhere between like a two plus k gold lead but you know Zven gets picked they lose a Drake Zven gets picked again. They lose a soul. We even saw that in game one as well. Like Cloud9 was the losing team, but they were the, were the ones to get soul as well. So mm -hmm. it does kind of check out that the teams that are losing are the ones playing for Dragon Soul and the teams that are winning are the ones snowballing with Rift Herald. Because, I mean, let's be honest, Rift Herald is, I, I've said this, I'll always continue to say this until there's any changes made. I think the way to play the game is around Rift Herald. I'll continue to say that you can snowball so hard that your gold lead by the time the enemy team has two drakes is just so significant that they shouldn't be able to get a third or if they are getting a third or fourth it's because they're trading it for baron which is usually enough to then push the gold lead to an extreme that you're not coming back mm -hmm. so that's basically what we saw in this series and what we've seen throughout most of the tournament and uh yeah i mean this was a 3-0 stomp this series it was nice that cloud nine looked a little bit competitive in the third game um but overall gg Honestly, yeah. Well, I don't know what else to to say. Hope <clears throat> no more opium. We're refueling till twenty twenty two. So I actually said this to you earlier. I, I was saying like I expect to full uh, fully to hear that Cloud Nine is getting absolutely stomped in scrims, and then in the press conference, 
you hear Perk saying, uh, they're like, yeah, we were doing decent in scrims. And I'm like, huh. And he goes, minus versus the Asian teams. I'm like, oh, okay, well, there, <laughs> there you have it. There you have it. So, I mean, overall, very happy with how Cloud9 did. They made it to quarters. But this was a team that's been struggling since MSI, really. And so there's no expectation. I'm not disappointed with how they did. It's just like, meh, what can you say? Yeah. Um, before we move on, I want to ask you just a yes or no question. And we'll get to it in the future episode. Is Perks back with Cloud9 next year? Yes or no? He should be, would be my opinion. So but you're yes, going with yes. But I don't I'm know if he will. No. I'm going with no. And we'll, we'll talk about it more as we in a future episode, I think. Um, it, it's, it's not obvious, though, right? And I think that's yeah, what's kind not. of fun about it's, it. It's, it's not obvious, yeah. and I think that's the off season always is always so much fun. But um, don't worry, guys, we will do off season episodes, uh, probably after Worlds, but maybe I don't know, maybe during the maybe during the finals episode, we can get into some off season stuff. But we'll we'll get into it in the future, and we'll we'll give our takes as to why or why not Perks will be back. Um, let's go into the next series. So this was now we're gonna go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We start mm-hmm. off with today's series. Let's go Friday now, which was T1 Hanwha Life, correct? Yep. Okay. Uh, it feels like, it another, feels like there's <laughs> it feels like there's even less to talk about in this series than the previous because it felt like this one was even like even like even worse of a stomp. Like there was and, there was no there was no resistance. And the thing is too is that like Cloud9 just got so hard stomped by Gen G, but I still think you're right that this series was even more of a stomp. Um Weird, man. Uh, Weird series. So here's the thing. I I believe you have to come into this series with the theory of let's shut down Chovy. And if we can do that, we win. Well, Faker can do that. (laughs) Like, I I think it's fair to say that Chovy is now the better mid laner. I think Faker is still good, but we've seen him. He's past his prime. I think that's fair to say. Chovy is amazing. Um, but that doesn't mean Faker can't hold his own. I mean, he's still Faker. Let's not forget that. And I think that's kind of what we saw in this series. Um, yeah. Uh, he actually, the other thing too that I'll say about Faker is that he went back to the Oriana, and his Oriana has always been good, and it was solid in this series as well. He had a lot of solid shockwaves, which also didn't really allow Hanwha Life to do much in this series as well. Yeah. You kind of just saw Faker was just like acting as a neutralizer. I mean both with the Oriana into the Zoe and Oriana is just a fairly defensive champion, especially at the highest level. Like you're not going to get these massive early game leads that you kind of sometimes see in the LCS and the LEC with this pick. Um, because for the most part it is a very like stat check, you know, defensive champion. And then in games two and three, like we, he just picked Lissandra into the LeBlanc who I think we've all understood, like you're not necessarily going to shut down the LeBlanc in lane, but your role in team fights is to mm-hmm. win the LeBlanc WRs in or RWs in or whatever. If she gets into your face, you W alter instantly. And the thing that I always found super interesting about like watching Lissandra at this Worlds is it was kind of the norm to take cleanse against Lissandra, what like just you know with whatever champion you're playing, whether you're playing like Yasuo or, or a Twist of Fate or any control mage, it feels like you have to take cleanse into Lissandra. And I think every single game so far at Worlds where we've seen somebody up against Lissandra, they don't take cleanse. And you know I, I do. I do think there's some argument towards still running the TP because I think TP on mid laners is super, super valuable. We, we really saw that in the Gen G versus Cloud9 series. How teleport advantage is just like so insanely good for your team. 
But at the same time, like, Chovy was getting shut down in games two and three. He literally could not do anything against Faker Sassandra. Like, the map was falling around the... Everywhere Wait, else did, on the map sorry, was... Did you say, is that game two? Just to clarify, is that game two where he played, where Faker was on Lissandra? He I'm played, trying to remember. B- both games, he played Lissandra into LeBlanc, games two and three. Okay, right. Sorry, but just, well, just in both games, Chovy wasn't able to do anything because the map was sort yeah. of falling around him and Hama Life was playing pretty poorly for the most part. And Chovy was the only one doing anything. But anytime he tried to do anything in these later game team fights, he would just get shut down by Faker. Either he would die or he would live with one HP having to W back and then like he was out of the fight. Yeah, and like I said just a couple of minutes ago, if the play is if you could shut down Chovy, you could shut down Hanwell Life. And I that's exactly you could clearly tell by draft and how the game went. This whole series went exactly to plan for T1. You put him on Lissandra, he shuts him down, and there's there's no life in Hanwa Life, honestly. Um, and, and the one, I don't know if this was game two or three, but there was one Rift Herald fight that to me just spelled out how the whole series was going to go. This is where Faker is, so again, he's on Lissandra, like I was saying, and he had used ulti, he got picked off, sort of, he had used ulti and flash to get out, and then TP's back to the Rift Herald, T1 still wants to take that fight. Now, if that's the case, usually you're not supposed to win that fight after you've blown, like, the Lissandra ulti and, and flash is really, really important in that team fight. Regardless, T1 still wins that team fight. I think they get a couple of kills and still get the Rift Herald. And when I saw that, I was like, look, if Hanwha Life can't win that fight, they're not winning this series. And sure enough, the, it was just a pure stomp after that. I think it was game two. I think it was yeah, the I think, first I think Rift Herald fight game of game two. two. Yeah, yeah, you remember what I'm talking about? You yeah, remember yeah. That? I think it was game two. Oh, what a nightmare. The TP from Faker wasn't even that close to Rift Herald. It was like top lane and he had to run down. They still won the fight, man. <laughs> Yeah, this was like another series where it felt like the game plan from Humble Life was super weird. Um, similar to how Cloud9's game plan against Genji was super weird. Humble Life was like kind of going all in on early game in this series, and they were also taking a very sort of risk averse bot lane with putting Deft on Varus for two games. And in that game two, they got absolutely shit stomped and basically just did a salty run back in game three instead of they picked uh, Olaf in the jungle. For uh, Willer instead of the Zin Zhao. And yeah, it just felt like Hama Life didn't really know what to do in this series. They, they tried to go early game and they, they couldn't find any plays whatsoever despite having the stronger early game champions. And uh, D1 was just like outplaying them straight up. Yeah. Was there any standout players for you? I, I, there was a couple of performances, not necessarily the whole series, but a couple of performances that stood out for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know about like any single player specifically throughout the whole series i think like a few players on t1 had some really good games i think gumiyushi had a, a, a few nice games you know here and there and well like i say it nice games but he, i mean he was playing really well but at the same time humble life was giving him his best champion all three games i i think somebody posted it on twitter but like humble life or sorry not humble life t1 played aphelios bottom in like nine straight games and, like, at, at some point, you just got to ban that champion. And at the same time, they gave Carry a Thresh two games in this series as well, which is his best champion. Um, so... Or even if, even if you're not, even if you're going to give him that champion, you could, and you know that he wants to play it, you could at least draft so that you have a really good lane matchup into the Aphelios or, or take away a support that he lanes really well with, like Thresh or something, which, by the way, Carry's Thresh looked really good. I think that was game one. His Thresh was kind of nuts. Um, he played Thresh in game one and three, but they were, they were both insane, I mean. Yeah, and then the other standout performance was, I think it was also game one, was Owner's um, Talon. 
was like hella aggro. He was really, really in your face the whole time. Like anytime Hanwha Life wanted to step up, he kept engaging on them and just hard chunking them out that they couldn't really contest for any vision or anything like that. And so just a uh, owner was another big standout for me in, in that series. Yeah, I just think all of T1 like played well in this series. Like I, I, w- I wouldn't say yeah. it was like one individual who was like hard smurfing like, you know, BDD was in against uh, Cloud9, but just the whole team was playing well. And I think that's kind of what has made T1 work for the most part. Like they don't necessarily have, you know, the best individual players. I think minus Caria, um, you know, in all of their roles when compared to your other top teams like Damwon and Genji and Hama Life. Um, but the sum is greater than their parts, I think, with this team when they are playing very, very well. Mm-hmm. I don't have too much more to add uh, to this series specifically because it was just, again, it was another quick stomp, honestly. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to talk about specifically, and you might have heard this and some of you listening might have heard this as well, if you listen to Di- the Diphoria, the most recent episode, but Hanwa Life was actually the team that apparently Niski FBI said were their toughest scrim opponents. Did you hear this, JNT? No, I didn't. So during that's what was so surprising to me. It was that if there was one team that people were saying was the toughest scrim opponent, you would immediately point to someone like Damwon. Yeah, but or, apparently, or some LPL team. Yeah, so during the, the Diphoria, they had Laura do interviews with some of the players, and, and FBI and Niski were both, both of them saying that they couldn't believe how good Hanwha Life was in scrims and that that was their toughest opponent. And that to me was like, really like, wow. Because... Well, I mean, we heard so much about how Hanwha Life wasn't supposed to be that good coming into this tournament. I wasn't expecting them to come in that looking that great. They were very inconsistent the whole year long. And even uh, Kelsey Moser, where's the, the, I have the quote, because I've never heard this kind of flame before. Um, Let me find it. Oh, yeah. So Kelsey Moser in her own show said, how is Morgan allowed to attend Worlds? How are we allowing this to happen? Like, that is, like, like Kelsey's, like, usually pretty tame, I think. Yeah. Um, but she'll speak her mind, and clearly this is what she thought of Morgan. <laughs> and the thing is, though, I, I'll also say that I didn't think Morgan had that bad of a tournament. I didn't think he stuck out like a sore thumb like, like you would expect him to. Um, he did in this series a little bit, but I think for the most part, for like... the whole tournament, right? Yeah, like, when Hama Life was playing at their best, both towards the end of the LCK and in their BO5 in the playing stage and in the group stage, it was when Morgan and Willer were really working very well together. And I think that was, that was the thing with this series, which was super weird. I think if you were watching Hama Life for the first time or really hadn't been watching much of their games but and did end up watching this series, like... The series wasn't really indicative of what was happening when Hama Life was getting really good. And when they were getting yeah. really good... They yeah. had really solid performances from top jungle. Chovy was playing very well as always. And Deft was like actually involved, not just playing this backline poke Varus and actually had some agency in the laning phase and in the game. Because Deft wasn't like inting in lane or anything like Morgan and Willer were or anything like that. Like he just was sitting bot lane, unable to do anything against Aphelios Thresh, which is just an unkillable laning duo past a certain point. And like yeah, Deft wasn't able to do anything and the rest of the team was playing poorly. Yeah, so no, I agree that like in the last series, you're going to have guys looking really bad when you're getting stomped like that. That makes sense. But like we were saying, with the tournament as a whole, I didn't think they looked that bad. And and what's so strange to me is that I've never seen so much flame go towards one player attending Worlds. <laughs> and even if that was the case, I wouldn't expect them to be from the LCK as well, which is the other weird Yeah, it'd thing. be some NA like, or EU player. The, the last thing that I could think of was maybe Balls when he was Diamond 2. Oh my god. You got a Panther, dude. 
Which is, yeah, I know, and then he got a Penta to save himself. When was that, though? Like, season five or something? Yeah, yeah, season five. But, like, coming into this tournament, it's like, well, Morgan, he can't CS. He's got bad teleport plays. He can't team fight. Uh, he's got bad breath. And he doesn't donate <laughs> to charity. And he doesn't tip waitresses. Like, there was literally all the criticism that could ever be thrown at someone was thrown at Morgan before coming into this tournament. And I didn't think he was that bad. I actually thought he had a good tournament minus... I guess towards the end, he did look a little rough, but still not nearly as bad as what we heard out of people. But I think that it's really funny that um, someone like Kelsey, who's, I think, very accurate in her analysis, just comes out and says, this guy shouldn't even be at Worlds. That, to me, is really funny. It was pretty funny. Uh, I don't got anything else on the series. I don't got anything else on Hanwa. Just thought it was interesting that people thought they were one of the toughest scrim opponents. That, to me, is wild. And then, of course, they get stomped by their very own region right after that. Yeah, well, one thing that I did think was interesting was uh, Faker has never basically not made world semifinals. Like, that's the that's the worst he's ever done is world semifinals, so he had to win this yeah. series for, for, the, for the script to stay intact. So, wait, wait, wait. This is every other time he made it to what, though? He made semis or finals or won. When did he only make it to semis, though? That was, 20, was that? 2019 when they lost to G2. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. Yeah, because yeah. every time before that, I mean, I remember the 2017 year. Yeah, he made. They made it to finals and lost. And then they and then won 2016, they won. 2015, they won. 20, no, 2015, they weren't there. No, that was 2014. 2014, they weren't here. 2015, they won. And 2013, they won. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. This is all, I'm, I'm getting it now. I'm catching on. All right. Um, anything else? Do you want to go EDG RNG? Yeah, we'll go to the only good best of five that we had. In quarterfinals? Yeah, and I'm sorry to be the downer, but even for a best of five, this series wasn't that great. Um, overall, still a good series. Debbie though, don't downer get me wrong. over here. Well, the thing is, like I said, the games were kind of one-sided. I still definitely enjoyed the series, but normally when there's a best of five, like it feels way more hype. Maybe it was just me this time around. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I'll let you start it. What, 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 what were your thoughts, JMT? Um, my initial thoughts were coming into the series i guess was i thought rng was the better looking team in their losses in the group stage which is mostly why i gave them the ed the edge i think i i think we both had it three two rng um yes. as our predictions and i basically yep. thought this series was a coin flip and like it was it was just a straight up 50 50 just whichever team you prefer because i didn't think both teams were playing particularly well and i think that's also what you kind of saw in the series like there was no like one single team that really took control of this series like we saw bad games out of almost every player in each individual game and i don't think one player was like absolutely smurfing the whole series the only one that i think you could really point to is jj from edg but even then like in a couple of the losses wasn't necessarily playing that well either um but it really you know th this best of five to me was kind of just like a test of like mental fortitude and who was really going to be able to stay in it to the very end and we did see, you know, really in that game five, you know, the wheels were kind of falling off. Yeah, definitely. One thing that I, I got to give credit to both teams for and that really impressed me in this series is, and I think I mentioned this before as well, but it was definitely true in this series as well, was the ability to just engage and all be on the same page when doing so. Unreal to me how sometimes a player will get picked off and you will have a 4v5, but all four team members on that team know that it's still time to fight. Mm. That is something I don't see that much in other regions, maybe sometimes in the LCK, but nothing comes to mind. I can't believe how good the LPL is at doing that. 
Yeah, like, it's it seems you're like you're obviously there's... taking a, a fight that you're disadvantaged. You're like the fight is not in your advantage to take, right? Mm-hmm. But they're still able to take these fights and win them just because they know. Yeah, it does seem to me like the LPL is really great about working around <clears throat> like champion cooldowns, whether that's like ultimate abilities or whether that's just like notable abilities in a team fight. Because like you just mentioned, you know, one team might get a pick on the other team, but they might use a certain number of flashes, a certain number of ultimates, a certain number of key abilities to get that pick. And, you know, it's the LPL teams do a really great job of calculating like, okay, they've used all of this. Can we still fight despite being at a numbers disadvantage? And they just do a really great job of, you know, finding those specific instances where they can team fight down a member. And we saw that multiple times in this series, whether it was RNG or whether it was EDG getting the first pick of a fight, the other team would just re-engage. Like they don't care. Like they'll just go in. Yeah. And the, the, the instance that comes to mind for me was in game one. This was RNG where they're fighting for third drag. Nautilus just gets one shot. Their, their own Nautilus gets picked off in one shot. And you would think that with one of your heavy CC uh, champions just gone, you wouldn't want to engage fight. Well, of course they engage the fight anyways. And Aphelio Gala hits like a four man Aphelios ulti <laughs> and they all just get torn to shreds right immediately after. And that's something that I don't think you would see that from any of the North American teams. Uh, after watching, I don't know how long I've watched NA for now, uh, like coming up on a decade, you very, very rarely see something like that. And so that was really, really impressive. And I think, I think they ended up winning that game. Did RNG win when game yeah, one, they win, they won yeah. game one and game four. Yeah, that was, uh, anyways, that was really crazy. Um, should we talk about Annie? <laughs> <laughs> I like seeing Annie. I think it's, I think it's fun anytime you see a champion that you don't see very often. Um, because I think that usually when that happens, you have people that come in playing their own style when you're seeing like a rare champion pick. And I think that with Annie, that is kind of like, you're not playing to win, to win the lane whatsoever. You're playing for the team fights. And that's something that we got with Annie. Now, you could definitely argue there was some good and some bad. Um, however, I, I guess it looked good in, in the end because you had to get it banned. Yeah. But, yeah, game but five in game banning two, Annie. I, I, can't, I can't defend it in game two, though, because... He's, what was his CS? He was at like 100 CS or something at like 22 minutes. I don't yeah, remember the exact I, I just remember the specific instance where he had like 86 at 17 minutes or something. Something so, like that. There you have it. And no matter how much I love seeing a new pick and no matter how much I want to defend playing your own style, I can't defend any pick, any, any carry pick that is, that you have 80 something CS at 17 minutes. I can't defend that. He's yeah, getting I, hard stomped, right? Like the, the thing that was weird for me, like in this series overall, was like game one was weird because they opted, like EDG opted to pick Malzahar into Kryon Rise, and Kryon is literally statistically the worst laner at Worlds. Like even including all of the other teams who've been eliminated and all of the other mid laners who were playing bad and got eliminated, he had the worst laning stats of any mid in the group stage at Worlds. So I was pretty surprised to see in that first game. EDG pick Malzahar and into Krein's Rise, who literally just got the scale for free. And to me, it made much more sense to have Krein be on this Annie pick because he's not a player who is playing for lane to begin with. He's more one to roam and help the team and give up CS. And you know, he's not that like he's not that amazing individually one v one either. The pick made perfect sense. But like, even when you're playing this, you know, kind of off meta pick like Annie, like you still gotta like hold some of the laning fundamentals that really help you to to get. 
any sort of advantage in the game to begin with. And in that game too, especially like it was not a good look. So it was definitely very surprising to see them go back to the ante again in game four. But in Mad game four, for yeah, back, like <laughs> like if they would if they would have lost off that, like they would have been flamed to the ends of the earth. Like they got saved because he played well in game four and they had to ban it in yes. game in game five. Yeah, and okay, when you see it locked in for the second time, you got to be like, uh oh. At least that <laughs> I was because I was like no man like that like that game wasn't close like game two was not close to any looking good right so you're like they still think they should pick this which <laughs> means that there's in their minds there's just something that they did wrong some little thing some little tweak but they were kind of right but from a viewer's perspective you're like i don't see what it is what little tweak could happen to make this look <laughs> good but sure enough they found a way and then like you said <laughs> it gets banned for game five yeah uh anyway um a little bit of criticism for the side of edg the one standout player that i have criticism for was flandre um i thought that he's had a pretty good tournament overall but dying a lot in side lanes in, in um in this series and also blowing flash when you're already dead that's something that, that is oh it triggers like it's such a trigger. i know it, it is but and the thing is you should know as a pro player that you can't blow flash when and you should know when you're dead and that was something that happened too many that's another, times. That's another Zven special right there. Yes, honestly. And uh, so just a little bit of criticism for him um, because I don't, I don't know. I don't think I remember seeing that in the group stage whatsoever. I think he looked solid, but not so much in this series. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, I'm not going to hold that too much against him because in my opinion, he's going up the best top winner. He's going up against the best top in the world in Jahu. And I don't think Jahu had a particularly great series by any means but it just very felt, hit or miss yeah it, it kind of just felt like with this series specifically like other than mid lane the lane didn't matter it, it was just about who was executing better in the 5v5 team fights and more often than not that was edg yeah so for me xiaohu looked really really good on the kennen that was the game four kennen that he played and that was like one of his really really solid games that's where like i thought okay like this is the xiaohu we want but also there was which game was it? You had a pretty good Lucian game, game three. Yeah, and the thing is, he's always played Lucian, and I like the way RNG plays around his Lucian. Right? Oh yeah, it's that's great. A, that's a champion that like you could actually put him on, and you know that you're gonna get something out of putting the resources topside. So I actually like seeing him play the Lucian. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you were gonna keep rolling with that because you were talking no, about something no, that's else. It. No, um, I just there's I I guess yeah. the the reason why I bring that up is because there's a lot of times in the past that I've been very critical of the Lucian top lane. Whereas if you think back to like like I used to flame the hell out of it when when Huni would play Lucian top because you would put all these resources into Huni and he would sprint it. So I don't think you get that with Zhao Hu. Um, no offense to Huni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I think either way, whichever team that was gonna win this series, uh, I think was still probably the favorite to beat whoever was going to win between Genji and Cloud9. Although it does kind of... I feel like my eyebrows are raised a little bit after Genji just absolutely stomped C9, and both of these teams didn't necessarily look like they were playing at their top level. So I think it... The, both of these quarterfinal matches... My, they may, oh, Jesus, I can't speak. While they may have been boring, quote-unquote, it feels like it creates more excitement for the semifinals match because... Semifinals feels a bit closer now than it was with these two teams. 
Yeah, see, for me, I think, like, it still, still feels the same. Because for me, I fully expected Gen G to wipe the floor with Cloud9. And I, I fully expected that whichever LPL team that was still alive, like EDG or RNG, was going to be competitive. So I was expecting a competitive semis pretty much no matter what. But I suppose that this kind of solidifies it with uh, yeah, with Genji kind of smacking C9 around. Um, before we move on, just another couple standout performances for, for me that I saw. Uh, Wei, when he was playing Lee Sin, um, he solo invaded a couple times, man, and got caught both times, which really... I mean, that, that just kills you. You can't be solo invading and dying as jungle. You lose so much pressure. Like, Lee Sin, you want to be able to make plays happen. And without the Lee Sin on the map, it just allows e that just allows EDG to take over the full map, and then you slowly bleed out. So a uh, little bit of criticism there. That was specifically Game 5 that I'm talking about there. Mm -hmm. And the other standout performance was Viper. His Ezreal was kind of nutty, man. Yeah, like, Game 5. Like, it wasn't like one of those Ezreals. So it was one of those Ezreals where he's landing a lot of skill shots, but it was more than that. It was like... He is eing in and then owning your ass, and he's just not afraid of you to turn on him because he's just he's dealing so much damage to you that you don't want to turn. What happens fight. when you have a Yumi on you? Yeah. So how anyways, boring his... was that though? Just to see like Yumi get through in game five and like oh my god, it just like yeah. further like burns my hatred for Yumi. No, it it's, it does. It's really frustrating. I I actually totally agree. However, um, I think the onus is on RNG to ban that. Oh, it is. Thing. Like they got to so, ban it. Yeah, so I, I'm bothered by that champion still being so strong. Um, I'm bothered by that champion being a champion, but that's a whole other topic for another day. Um, but I'm more bothered by RNG. They should know that that champion is going to... Like, you know what Yumi's going to do, and you should know Yumi's going to be oppressive, and you shouldn't be giving it up every game. And then when you get beat by it, and it's clapping your ass because got it yeah. with an Ezreal, I don't really think you can complain at that point. There's, there's a perfect solution. It's the ban. And especially when you're playing red side, that's the ban usually hammer. The, the red side is supposed to be the ones banning Yumi. Not always, but for the most part. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but, I mean, that's the way it goes. Uh, EDG looking really good. I think RNG would looked good enough to be alive in the tournament, but not, I guess, not going up against another LPL squad. I think that ED, or excuse me, RNG probably, well, they definitely would have beat Cloud9 and probably still would have beat Gen G, but we'll have to. We'll have to wait and see how Genji looks when they play probably would have beat a, Mad Lions and probably would have beat Hama Life. So maybe they yeah. got a bit unlucky. Yeah. Well, they yeah, they, 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 did. they definitely they drew did. into the strongest seed two. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, that's true. A last quarterfinal we got to talk about is Mad Lions versus Dam One. Sadly, another three zero stomp fest with one fairly close game in game two, uh, but for the most part, this was just uh, annihilation. Uh, top to bot, honestly, like all vibe rolls. Yeah. Um, so going into this series, I think a lot of people had the idea that damn one was the favorite now, right? Yeah. This just solidified that and made it even more of a favorite. Like they are so obviously the favorite now um, because they just look good everywhere, man. People talk about the bot lane being the weakness and it's like, is it a weakness? I, I suppose it's a weakness for Damwon, but I would like their bot lane is still good. So like I, I don't think it does them justice calling their bot lane a weakness. Um even though that may be the case for Damwon specifically, just because of how good their their mid and top side of the map is. It, it's really strange. Yeah, it's it's like a it, it's a weakness against the other top teams in the world, like those being the ones that the top teams in the LCK and the top teams in the LPL. Because when we see them 
at Worlds in previous years when they are up against those top teams, whether it's in Worlds Finals, Worlds Semifinals, MSI Semifinals, MSI Finals, we have seen them struggle, but like they're still world champions. They're still really good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, they got shit on. So I, I want to point back to MSI because Barrel, if, if people don't remember, was really struggling in MSI and like he wasn't looking too good. Um, that definitely changed. Barrel actually had a great series. His Rakan was insane. Uh, yeah, his Rakan was catching out everyone. And even the one play too, the the prediction over the wall. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where the who, guy... Who was that? Was it was it Graves or what? I don't even know who it was. Um... I just remember he W'd predicting a flash or a dash. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was the Graves. The I think it was the Graves. Uh, that was a freaking insane play. And what else? We had Showmaker playing Syndra. That was disgusting. If people have been on the league subreddit, you'll see that Showmaker Syndra was just absolutely hard gapping humanoid in the mid lane. Predator Syndra in game three. Dude, Kate. Yeah, even in game three, that just. You know what that game was? That was Matt or Damwon just playing with their food. That's what I thought when I was looking at game three. I was like, I mean, they were definitely having some even, fun. I don't even know if like this Syndra with Predator is like a, a serious thing or if you're just like, let's try this. Um, regardless, it didn't really matter. Yeah, the, I, it, I think it definitely felt like that with game three, especially with the, the bot lane of Ziggs Pike. Like that's a def, that's a very like solo queue, like, or fun kind of bot lane, like when compared to professional play, and like <laughs> Barrel was just kind of going off that game. Yeah, and so uh, th- we talked about it earlier about where Perks was losing his lane, and then uh, BDD would TP to a side lane. We saw that in game one as well with the Syndra in, in into the um, uh, what was it, the Victor? Yeah, into the Victor. I think it was. Victor was game three. Maybe it was Oriana. It was Oriana. Yeah. It was Oriana. Um, and then, yeah, we saw that he used his TP bot lane to get a kill after he forced Humanoid to use his TP back mid. It's like copy and paste kind of what we saw in the other series over to this one. And I, I don't think you really stand a chance against Showmaker, especially if people saw the clip or just were watching the games. We actually saw it on the live stream as well. He's landing every ability, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's insane. What did, do you do against dude, that? Dude, like the game looked like the whole series and game looked over from level from from that first game like levels one to three where showmaker was literally just hitting every single q in lane like humanoid was just 200 hp basically when the lane when the first wave died just from getting auto attack down and, and getting uh getting queued down by syndra like he was just ripping through corrupting pots had the base lost his tp showmaker had tp advantage and the game was just like it just felt over like me as i was watching that by myself i was like mad lions have no chance if this is gonna if this is what mid lane is gonna look like they have no chance and the thing is too is that we knew this was going to happen a month ago i remember we had this conversation about why are they buffing syndra they're giving her her mana in her queue this this is what it's gonna look like this is exactly what we thought we've mentioned it countless times on this podcast that we fully expect to see the syndra and that we fully expect her to see her dominate in lane because she can non-stop spam abilities well now you've got a guy that can land the cues and so it's just it's gg from laning phase and yeah we saw that um where else do you want to focus i, I guess we could talk about our moot yeah I was gonna... uh, <laughs> go ahead go, yeah go ahead with our moot um he didn't look very good this whole world so i think the Armut stock was all the way up here after, or let me on the camera, all the way up here after, you know, season 10 worlds and 
even the start of season 11 where Mad Lions, you know, won their first championship. And even at MSI, I think he had a pretty good MSI for the most part. Yep, but it felt like we really saw his sort of champion pool get exposed um, both in the LEC summer split, summer playoffs, and at Worlds. Like, it felt like his two best champions in Nar and Wukong had kind of progressively gotten, you know, knocked further down the tier list with, you know, various nerfs. And other than those two champions, it really didn't feel like he had anything else in his back pocket, maybe minus the Gwen. I think Gwen was his other champion that he really found a lot of success on. But I think, you know, contrary to the rest of the tops at the tournament, like, you need to have a very wide champion pool in top lane. I think the best top laners in the world right now have the ability to really go wide with a lot of their picks. You know, I've mentioned Jahu so many times and how he can basically play basically play everything. Um, same with Khan. I feel like he's really improved his champion pool as well because he was kind of really known only as this tank utility guy when he was back on uh, when he was back on T1. When he was even on FPX, was kind of just like on Scion duty. But now coming back to to Damwon. Basically, after MSI, he's now evolved into more of a carry carry player, it seems. like, Especially with the increasing amount of carry picks in the meta right now. But he's just absolutely dominating people on like Jace, Graves, Jax, like, you name it. He's playing it, and Armut is still like playing his only two to three champions. Yeah, so uh, it hurts me because I have to agree. I I'm an Armut fan, so that's why it hurts. Like I, I like seeing him do well. I like his, his out there champion pool. I want to see the Wukong. But he's just getting dumped on. And so you, you got to say it like it is. The other thing, too, is like when you're going up against Khan, Khan has actually been a beast this whole tournament long. And I, I have to eat my words because I did not expect Khan to look that good this tournament. He has been insane, man. His Jace has been gross. His Gwen has been nutty. He's actually just owning everyone that he's, that he's going up against. Yeah, so he's owning everybody. To, to be fair to Armut, yes, he got gapped. But, I mean, Khan has gapped everyone he's played against this tournament. So yeah. I guess guess what I'm saying is Armut's not alone here. Yeah, I mean we definitely thought that like it wasn't going to be like completely one-sided in Khan's favor because I think a lot of us thought that Armut was going to put up a fight, um, but it was that was not the case. The other thing too about this series is that I didn't think Mad necessarily looked like themselves. So they've had a lot of games over the whole year where they've been able to fall behind a little bit in early games, but their team fighting and their macro late is so good that they get back in games and they, they well, they win fights and they, they earn their way back. The one standout play, and I, I tweeted about it, is Damwon is on Baron and they are definitely chunked out. And Mad Lions is positioned to contest the Baron. You see Damwon leaving the Baron pit. But Mad Lions decide not to contest it. I, it must have been due to lack of vision. Um, sometimes you don't get the toggle of vision when you're watching the live stream. It must have been because they couldn't see, but Damwon is literally leaving the Baron, and then they see Mad Lions leave the Baron as well, so they're like, oh, maybe we'll just stick around and take this Baron, and then they <laughs> yeah. get a free Baron, too. That was yeah. really, really weird. Do you remember that? What game was that? Game that three? Game three, yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure it was game three. I don't remember. Uh, yeah anyways that was that was another like uh moment because I, I think that's an opportunity that mad lions to has to play to the way they play whereas okay this other team is on baron they shouldn't be we team fight really well let's punish that and then you don't even see mad lions contest the baron and it's like well if they're not even going to play the way they normally play then it's definitely doomed. yeah and the, the other thing like especially you know when you're talking about bad lines not playing like themselves like i think that was also apparent from humanoid um, one thing that I really disliked about Mad Lions this entire tournament is their just continuation to pick like late game scaling control mages like Oriana, like Victor. 
while these champions are not bad champions whatsoever when the game sort of hits 30 minutes and you kind of hit those item breakpoints, you are a very powerful champion and you can do a lot. And I think that's that's why Mad Lions was able to stay in a lot of these games early on in the group stage. You know, they had the longest average game time. They had like tons of 35, 45 minute games. But at the same time, like they're losing every single early game. And you really just can't do that on the international stage against some of the best teams in the world, especially the best team yeah. in the world in Damwon. And especially just give control of the lane to Showmaker. Like, this is what I was talking about when, like, if Mad Lions are going to continue to play like this, especially with Humanoid playing control mages, it's just, they're just going to get stomped. I mean, Humanoid's best champions in the LEC playoffs and towards the end of the LEC when Mad Lions were, just really took control of that whole region was Humanoid getting on these picks like Twisted Fate, Rise, Silas, and, and just being able to roam and impact the map. And you know, find success outside of his lane, and I, I, I just really didn't like you know, Mad Lion's decision to sort of go towards that this whole tournament. Yeah, the the one area where I will give Mad Lion's credit uh, was game two, where they just decided, kind of like what I mentioned earlier. Whereas you want to make a game of Fiesta if you're like your chances of beating a team are not very good if you play a standard style. They went, look, we're just gonna live in the top lane and keep ganking top. They actually did have success in that game. Mind you, they ended up throwing it later on. Yeah. Damn one. Well, the Khan gets a really, really nice cannon ulti. They had like a 7k gold lead, but still like... Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, though, is that I like that approach of, look, you can't play standard, especially against the LCK, because you know that their standard gameplay is really good. So you need to make the game... You need to take them away from their game plan. And I think they did that. I actually think they managed to do that really well. They shut down uh, the cannon early although somehow he still managed to get a really nice ulti later on um you still have to give them credit for going about the game the way they should because i think that's the only way that you pick up a win off of damn one is taking them off their game plan and they did that so um you got to give credit to them there and just go full cheese because why not one thing that i just thought of which feels kind of funny is like kennen got like the world skin for last year for top lane and it felt like that champion like i was like it was like oh like why why is he why is there a Kennen skin? And, like, we, you know, it was mainly because, like, that's Nuggery's favorite champion. So, like, that makes sense. But, like, Kennen is absolutely just, like, destroying almost any game in this tournament. And it just feels like it'd be funny if we got, like, another back to back, like, Kennen skin. Because I know that they have made multiple world skins for other champions, like Rakan. Rakan got two world skins in a row, season seven and season eight. So, I, I wonder if maybe we get another Kennen skin because that champion's just been running through, like, everybody. Well, right now the favorite would be for Khan. Do you think he would take? Do you think he would? Is there anything else that Khan like plays a lot of? Uh, Graves or Jax this tournament? Yeah. Even Jax, that would be another. Jax already has a world skin. Yeah. Scion maybe because he likes Scion. I don't know if he's played at this tournament, but he's a Scion enthusiast. Hmm. That would make the Ballas very happy, I think. Yeah, I can't really think of. I I don't know his champion pool all that well. I guess he looked good on Jace as well, so you can give him that. But, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't really have anything else on it. I think that this this series pretty much just solidified the idea that Damwon is the favorite. Yeah, and T1 whoever has to run got their into work them, cut out for them. Yeah, whoever has to run into Damwon for the rest of the tournament is in a rough spot. And, well, next up is T1. Yep. I wonder if... I was going to say, maybe the most likely team to take them out would be T1. Um seeing as it's a team from the same region that knows a lot about Gen or excuse me knows a lot about uh Damwon maybe you know some of their weaknesses I don't know I'm just theorizing here but anyways uh 
let's get into the Mad Lions drama that came following. This yeah, series. this was pretty cringe. Oh my god, what a nightmare! So, JNT, maybe I'll I'll let you try to break this down because I don't fucking get it. I don't. I, yeah. So go for it. So after the games happened, there was then a bunch of drama on Twitter because a I'm gonna. I'm going to use this sparingly. I'm going to say, quote, unquote, Mad Lion's owner, whose name is Revenant, tweeted out saying, well, this is a translated tweet, by the way, because this tweet was in Spanish. It says, I feel sorry seeing El Yoya like that. He has to carry them on his back alongside Kaiser. I keep thinking that Karzi doesn't have the level, but he gives the team things that they consider important. It's clear for me that I put Flacid in the starting roster, but I don't decide anything related to those things XD. So we later find out uh, in a Mad Lions like official tweet that this guy is not uh, an owner nor you know works on the management side of Mad Lions. So we don't really know as of right now who this guy really is, Revenant, and what his affiliation with Mad Lions is. But initially, it was sort of perceived that a Mad Lions owner was verbally flaming his team on Twitter after they had just lost to the best team in the world. Like, could you imagine? Like, you're you're Carzy. You've had a great year, by the way. You've won both splits in the LEC. You lose to Damwon, which everyone is. Yeah, and you by took the them way, five Damwon's games unde- at MSI. Damwon's undefeated. Yeah, Damwon's undefeated at Worlds, by the way. And then <laughs> you flame your AD carry. And then we find out he's not really the owner. So we're like, who is this guy anyways? Well, <laughs> an like, owner. It's... Not about, I don't know about the owner, but an owner originally. I thought that the thing said that he's not a... Uh, well, I think like when the, when owner is like, I think he, he was a partial part of owner. the ownership group or management, and does not speak for Mad Lions or, or overactive media. No, but I mean, like, I mean, initially when people like saw this, he wasn't like he's. It's not like Mad Lions have one owner. It sounds like they have multiple owners. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, just in the Mad Lions statement, he says he's not one. Uh, he's not part of the ownership. Yeah, but again, th- that's part of the thing why this is so confusing because, like, who actually is this guy? What relevance does he have to one? <laughs> yeah. To one, talk about these things regarding the team, and two, why do people even care? Because this could just be some random. But I mean, like, well, he he can't be a random. Well, but I mean, it, random it, in the grand scheme be. of things of like ownership and the Mad Lions organization. Like maybe he's a part of the organization or something, but like he could just be a nobody. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it yeah, like th- what's funny is like if he is in fact no one to to do with this, which I'm sure he probably is at this point. But let's pretend that like he it has nothing to do with Mad Lions. That would be like the equivalency of me being like. Man, I really didn't like Zven this tournament. If it were me, I would have started Cloud Nine's AD, Cloud Nine's Academy AD carry, and then everyone being like, "That sucks! What a stupid take! Why would you flame him?" And then everyone would be like, "But wait, Blue Jay has nothing to do with Cloud Nine, so why does anyone give a shit?" Yeah, <laughs> and like there was a lot of people um, who reacted to this, like on Twitter and on stream and everything like that, just basically saying how much of an idiot this guy is. Yeah, clearly. well, and this is very true, like. Like, let's be honest here. Like, this guy probably is, like, terrible at the game, has no clue of what actually goes on in the professional team or even can le- like, it can even measure a player's individual skill or even know what's going on. So that was kind of, like, the gist of what everyone in the community was saying. Like, one, who is this guy? Like, two, this guy's an idiot. Like, three, this is, like, kind of insensitive considering they just lost a best of five, got crushed to the best team in the world. Um, well, he like doubled down on his yeah. comments later on too, which is like, you gotta be kidding me, man! Like, well, he like take he the yeah, L, like, apologize. 
Yeah, like the tweets have oh all been deleted. God. But he like replied afterwards saying, my tweet about Karzy clearly has upset people. So I have zero problems in deleting it and then even apologizing to him. The last thing I want is to disrespect him, his teammates, and the year they had. Well, you kind of did that with your first Too tweet. Late. So yep. <laughs> don't get that riled because I even spoke with him through DMs. See ya. Dude, yeah. like, oh my god. And then, like, there was a bunch of, like, players and teammates and uh, other people reacting to it. Like, I don't know. Just so cringe. <clears throat> well, and there's already rumors that Karzy wasn't going to be with Mad Lions next year. You would have to s assume that this can't help. <laughs> this is, I mean, if if he was maybe on the edge and this guy is part of the owners, we don't fucking know at this point. Cause they're totally unclear. But yeah. if he is, you got to figure that doesn't help in your in your case for keeping him. Yeah, but, I, I don't know. You know, we'll and it def and and it definitely yeah, it doesn't look at all like good from either side. Like if you're if you're Carzy, like why the fuck is somebody in your organization shit talking you publicly on Twitter? Why would I want to stay here in the first place? And if, on the flip side, for Mad Lions, it just it just reduces your leverage that you probably have in like contract extension talks. Yep. Sure does. And the funny thing, too, is if, for those that missed it, Armut sent out a tweet after saying, like, I'm going to miss you, Karzy. And, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that could be troll. Like, who knows, right? That I, it, it feels because it's Armut, like, there's a really good chance that it's troll. Uh, but I guess thought I should bring it up anyways, because if there is some truth to it, then it's like, oh. Okay, well, I'm going to read out the tweet that Mad Lions just put in here because it actually does say, like, who this guy kind of is, even though I didn't, okay. even, I didn't even see that when I first read this thing. But Mad okay. Lions put out a tweet saying, we're incredibly proud of our team's performance at Worlds 2021 and throughout the entire season. We support all of our players, including Karzy, who is a big part of our success. The disparaging conversation started earlier on social by Revenant, one of our content providers... What does that mean? Like content creator, content yeah. with like sponsorship in the org. I don't know. Whatever mm. is misleading. He's not part of the ownership group or management and does not speak for Mad Lines or Overactive Media. Count on our partners to work collaboratively with us and share our disappointment around Revenant's comments with their fans. Yeah. This guy probably will be out of a job when the season's over, I would think. Um, no more content's going to be provided. Yeah, from oh, that guy no. at least. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Man. This is this is esports, man. This is what you get. You get a bunch of stupid shit. You know what else was funny is that uh, yeah. during the series, you kept seeing El Yoya like. Oh, he was so like, pissed. Like, yeah, <laughs> he was like actually fuming, like visually on stage. I would love to see like El Yoya needs to take that energy and send it towards this Revenant guy and just give him a long speech about how stupid that tweet was. I mean, I definitely or, think that El Yoya probably probably wanted to fucking kill Armut after game two. Yeah, he he did not look too happy, did he? No, he did not. The thing is, too, is that the, that's not the first time. Like we've seen it. Uh, we even saw it on stage like last week in one of Mad Lions games. You see Elioya just lecturing his team on yeah, yeah. the stage after the games is over. Um, which I think a lot of people will look at that and think like, "Oh, he's flaming." I mean, maybe, but I, maybe he just has an idea of what what they did wrong and wants to make his point. Like, there's total. Maybe he's just a good leader and is like, "Look, guys, this is what we need to do. When we did this, that's wrong." Blah blah blah. And he's just got. He wants to get it all out. So. I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just oh, yeah, funny there's... because you don't. You don't normally see yeah. someone just lecturing their team uh, in front of the cameras, but funny nonetheless. Yeah, but I mean, like, 
you got to think that that's probably what went on with TSM when Bjergsen was at the helm, like something, yeah. something like that, where he's just like, like just just trying to get people like to do the right thing. I don't know. You think Bjergsen look was doing that last year after the nine man sleep? I don't know, man. That shit's still <laughs> hilarious. Been speak, I guess. That shit's still. That shit is still so funny. Yeah. How you sleep yeah. the whole. How you sleep the whole team and like they don't do anything. Yeah. Oh, some God. some memes never die. All right. Uh, what's next? Pop off Insu. Yep. Uh, who's going? You or me? I'll go. Pop off. Jarvan. Teams are finally learning how to play with that champion. Teams mm. are finally winning with that champion. Feels good because the champion is super, super strong. They're still on the old patch, obviously, with no nerf gore drinker. It's just cracked it and it like people are actually playing well with J4 now because it did feel like there was a lot of flame towards the pick earlier on in the tournament. Everyone say, like, oh, this is a bait pick. The pick's actually really, really bad. But I think we saw, especially in these quarterfinal matches, teams actually prioritizing correct targets off of burn summoner spells, both early game and mid game in team fights. Um, Fudge had a, that one, he had two really good, uh, or sorry, Fudge had one really good uh, Jarvan game, Blabber had a good Jarvan game, JJ had like a bunch of good Jarvan games in their uh, series against RNG, somebody else also had a good Jarvan game, I forget who it was, El Yoya in game two, uh, that was the other one, yeah. Okay, so starting it, to see some success with the J4 pick. Yep, I like it. My pop-off was Khan, uh... I mean, I mentioned how he's just absolutely styling on Armut, and even the game where they hard focus Khan, he somehow still manages to get an amazing cannon, quote unquote, flank. It was like, Wall made a really nice ulti, uh, and still pretty much won them that team fight as well. So even in the games where you hard focus Khan, he still popped off. So I had to give him the pop off award naturally. Uh, Bean Soup. Uh, despite his anti-heroics in game four, <laughs> I still had to go with Kryon. He's just a bad laner. I don't. I know. thought you were gonna give Annie the bean soup. I was like, no, don't oh, do no. it. His Annie was good in game four, but his laning is just too bad. Yeah, and the the narrative that's kind of been built, and I think it's pretty fair, is that like you just you need him on TF or something like that, whereas like he's not gonna lane all that well, but maybe he can make a play in a side lane or something like that. But yeah, uh, not the greatest showing, so I, I can get behind that. Me, I went with Sven. For... Yeah, I mean, there was, I feel like there was a lot of bean soup worthy players in a lot of these. There was players. actually. There I was, was also considering like Armut. Armut. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot of bean soup. Um, even Humanoid, but I, I guess he went up against Showmaker. Anyways, doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, yeah, I went with Sven because uh, he got picked off in the ways that we've seen it a thousand times. And when you're making the same mistakes over and over and over again, you just get tired of it. It's pretty disappointing to see, especially when that Lee Sin, you saw him flanking, they had vision, and he's still sitting in the mid lane. That's uh, bean soup, man. That's got to stop. Whatever. Okay. Such, um, is, such is life. Yep. Definitely a lot of bean soup worthy people things this week. I mean, the Mad Lion shit, like the fucking Revenant guy, like that's so bean soup. It's crazy. Yeah, I agree. Well, nevertheless, got semifinals rolling around next week, Saturday, Sunday, 8 a.m. EST, 5 p.m. PST. First match, P1 versus Damwon. Rematch of the LCK finals. Damwon probably looking, I think you could argue, better than they have than they looked in uh, the LCK playoffs. And T1 probably looking about the same. 
Yeah, so T1's had a pretty good tournament, so you don't want to discount them. It's just that Damwon is really looking so good. Mm -hmm. That's where I get a little bit nervous. The one thing that I will say is that I think Kana's actually had a really good tournament, and he did not look good for a lot of this year. He's really turned it on towards the end of the year, which is the right time, but we're seeing the same out of Khan. So mm -hmm. I, I think top lane's going to be really exciting, and I don't know really who to give the advantage. Probably still Khan, just because he's been a little bit better, but I mean, I, I, Kana's look great. This is going to be confusing, Kana. Khan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sheesh. Uh, I'm going to give the edge to Kana over there. Um, and honestly, you you have to give the edge to Damwon altogether, um, mm -hmm. because they're just so fucking good. Maybe you can give to the bot lane for T1. Does that does that sound fair? Maybe, but I mean, like, kind of like you said, like Ghost and Barrel actually had a really good series against Mad Lions against what many people would consider a pretty good bot lane in Karzi and Kaiser. Like, they're no scrub yeah. bot lane. Like, the thing for me is, I think in this series, I think all my like, if you match up individuals, I think I slightly favor Damwon in pretty much every single role, but. They're just, it feels like they're just such a good team that when it comes to like putting the whole package together, like I'm heavily favoring Dam One because their team play is just so good. Okay. And so let's do score lines. Uh, I think I got to go with 3 1. I'll give T1 a game because I do think that they've looked solid this tournament. I was um, hoping that you were going to say 3 0 so that I could say 3 1 because I'm still, I got I guess I'm copying because I'm going 3 1, but I do think that T1 will get a game. I, I don't know, just because I don't think T1 is bad enough to get rolled 3-0. That's the issue. It's not that That's, I don't uh, think Damwon's good enough. It's that I don't think T1's bad enough, it, which is, I know, a, a kind of weird way of looking at it, but I just, I, I can't see T1 getting just swept. Maybe. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Baker it's always can't possible. get swept. It's always possible. Baker but yeah, never I'm, gets I'm definitely swept giving the edge world to final. Damwon. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, actually. Yeah, that was sad, too. Like, oh, God. Okay, uh, it's a, it's... I wouldn't be surprised at all, though, if we were to see, even if it is a 3-1 or a 3-0, like, the game should be still fairly close, because I don't think that Damwon is going to be able to just, like, roll all the T1 players individually in lane, which is what we saw in the majority of the group stage and in the series against Mad Lions, so I think the individually T1 matches up pretty well. I just think the game will end up going longer, and uh, the games will end up going longer, and T1 will most likely just get outplayed um, through team play. Hmm. Yeah, um, I I guess I just agree, honestly. I don't really have anything. There's nothing that I could think that really differs from what you're saying. Um, even though I think T1 plays great, uh, especially with their macro, I think it's great, but I just think Damwon's is better. Again, it's it it's so simple, but that's what it comes down to, so I can't can't really ignore that. All right, the, uh, the more spicy semifinal matchup that we got is Gen.G versus EDG. Um... So I think the main concerns I have for Gen G in the series is probably just top jungle. I think Clid has played very, very well at Worlds, but I think JJ is just so good, especially in the early game. Like it feels like whenever this guy gets ahead in the early game, he feels it just he's just rolling people. I think he's one of the Don't few worry. Well, he's one of the few players that's continued to like play Olaf through, throughout the throughout Worlds. Um, I think Olaf is one of his best champions along. I think he's been one of the better Jarvins that we've seen at Worlds. And Clit has been sort of been playing fairly by the books. He does, it feels like he doesn't really have that like ace up his sleeve in the early game to just roll you or some creative play that's going to net Genji a big early game lead. And I think EDG just kind of has that early game explosiveness, which is going to kind of push him over the edge. The the worry that I have for Gen G, and I, I think we've heard a lot of people mention this, is that their play style is pretty slow. 
and, and pretty standard, I would say. And so you have to wonder if an aggressive LPL team is going to take them off of their game, which I definitely could see that being the case. And so that's why I kind of give the edge towards EDG. For me, it's not so much of a player gap. I suppose the top lane, I would still give the edge to EDG, and that's where I'm a little bit worried for Gen G. But still, like, Clid's had a great tournament. BDD's been great. Ruler and Life have been great. So I have no problem with their players individually. It's more so that I worry about a faster-paced game, whereas Genji usually plays pretty slow and slowly bleeds you out. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's, they're going to be able to do that in this series. And so I'm giving EDG the edge. I'm giving them 3-1 in this series. Uh, but make no mistake, I will be pulling for Genji. No uh, doubt. I'm going to go 3-2 uh, EDG in this series. I think, for me, the ball is sort of in EDG's court. If they can win the early game and win it hard... They're going to run away with the series. But like I said, I don't think Gen G is kind of going to give up that easily. I think they have the advantage in mid lane with BDG over Scout. They have a very, very solid bot lane in Life and Ruler. I don't think anybody has a clear-cut advantage there, despite how well Viper and Mako have been playing. And if Gen G can slow the pace of the game down, I think they are definitely favored, like post-20 minutes. So I'm going to go 3-2 EDG. Um, but I think I'm, 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 think I'm there with you. I, I want Gen G to win just for BDG's sake. He deserves it. Yeah. He's actually been a he's been a beast. He uh, deserves it. Well, the other thing too is that he's going up against Scout now, and I, I think Scout is definitely better than all the other mid laners BDD's played against so far this tournament. So yeah. there is that. Like, I don't want to discount that BDD's been a monster, but you got a new test here. This is not the same test going up against Scout, and Scout's had a very good tournament there. So, yeah. Anyways, okay. We got a bit of quick news to get into. Um. One thing that kind of came out on Reddit, which people are, I want to say, talking a lot about, but is definitely notable considering the collapse of FPX, was apparently Tian had some really bad wrist injuries during Worlds, plus quote unquote bad general health. Yeah. Now, stop me if I'm stealing your thunder here, guys. I talked with someone about this. Maybe it was you, but some one one of the people I spoke to made a really good point that. Uh, it's not that Tian looked bad. It's that he looked really bad. This yeah, that, that, that was me. That was you? Okay, yeah. so, and, and that, so sorry for stealing your thunder, but that explains why he looked so bad. Yeah. Because I, we've seen him in the past, and there's no way he looked this bad. He looked awful. Yeah, like, like I feel like some at times like this, you could maybe, like, people could maybe view this sort of a thing as an excuse, per se, or, like, trying to push away from how bad FPX performances was. And just considering how bad he was playing like it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that was the case because like he was literally inting games like he himself was solo losing fpx games with bad engages bad decision making whatever and it just it, that that does make a lot of sense like i'm not one to normally like yeah. question you know teams to like teams or people to say like oh yeah you know i wasn't like i was sick wasn't feeling well i was injured whatever but like and i, I wouldn't blame him at all if that was the case because he was playing so fucking bad yeah, and I, I don't know if everyone, I mean, some people might might not have a, a full understanding of just how difficult it is to play League with wrist issues. It goes beyond just playing the actual games. It goes into your practice, because you can't practice that often. Like, World's Time is the time to grind and really get to the top of your game, and when you have wrist issues, you can't do that. And so, if people are wondering how much will that really affect your performance, let me tell you, a lot. A lot. <laughs> Like, there's, there's no way it's not going to affect the way you play. And I think uh, if, if people are just thinking this is some excuse, 
I'll say possibly, but I doubt it. I, yeah. I really highly doubt it because again, he he did look that bad. And hearing that he had wrist issues, it's all it's all coming together now. This is a former world champion. Mm-hmm. Former you don't world just fall off the cliff. Yeah, you don't just forget how to play the game all of a sudden. Uh, next so. up, a new. Uh, I mean, I guess it's not a new rumor, but uh, rumor is that Bwipo will not be on Fnatic next year. Um, honestly, makes sense considering back in the spring to summer off season, he never re-upped his contract with Fnatic because it, it was like revealed that. Whippo did not want to sign a contract extension. And I mean, this was kind of during the whole self-made drama before he role swapped and their sort of roster for summer 2021 was up in the air. And then after kind of everything that transpired at Worlds, it makes a lot of sense, to be honest. Um, and according to Cadrill, he's apparently going to be looking for, I don't know if it's according to him, but I heard it on a clip from Cadrill's stream that he's looking for multiple roles. Um, mm. Multiple roles like additional roles, including top jungle. So that doesn't surprise me. I, I don't, I need a little refresher and you're my memory guy. So I'm going to lean on you here, JNT. How was Bwipo's performance last year in the top lane? For some, something's good. telling me that he fell off a little bit. Am I no, wrong? I don't think so. Like he, I no? just, okay. I mean, it, it's, it's the main thing that sticks out to me for him is worlds 2020. And he played really well at worlds 2020. He was even like bodying three, six, nine in their semifinal their quarterfinals match against top esports. Okay. Um, like I said, I don't remember, like usually after the tournaments are done, he wasn't that, playing, that he wasn't playing that well in some, in spring 2021, but I don't think he was like the problem. And the whole real swap thing was kind of like out of the blue, especially with, you know, the roster that when they brought an Adam and everything, but, uh, yeah, I don't think he was playing bad by any means. Yes, he had a pretty rough Worlds, you know, both emotionally and kind of with this play. Although he did have some pretty yeah. good performances at Worlds. Like, I don't think he was, like, terrible by any means. I don't think he was amazing, but... This year or last year? No, this year even. Yeah, it's this me. year I thought he had a great tournament. Yeah, he had, just, he had some he was good on a games. bad team. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, Niski was kind of running it down. I thought Buipo had a good tournament, honestly. Yeah. I, I felt like he kind of... I think I mentioned this last week. He kind of got robbed of an opportunity... Of like what would be a really cool story you roll swap and you still carry your team 1v9 to the next stage mm-hmm. i think that would have been great um who knows if that would have happened though but anyway yeah uh, hearing that he's not going to be on fanatic not surprised at all hopefully we find out if all this drama is all connected it could be totally unrelated uh mm-hmm. it's not on us to, to speculate here when we know very very little but if we get a little bit more information maybe we could start speculating then but i don't think we're anywhere close to knowing what's going on so We'll leave it at that for now. Uh, next up, Power of Evil. Uh, TSM allowed him to explore his options for 2022, which makes a lot of sense considering all the rumors that Bjergsen is going to be most likely playing again. Again, most likely probably playing for TSM. The main interesting to note here, though, is that in the tweet that PoE put out with, you know, basically revealing this information is apparently his contract has no buyout. And a lot of people are kind of assuming that the reason for that is there might have been some clause, uh, either verbally or within the contract, that if Bjergsen was to come back and play, he would most likely be the returning mid laner, and therefore PoE right. would be out of a job. And it was probably designed to make it as easy as possible for both him and TSM to find him a suitable replacement. Yeah, and I, for those that don't remember, when PoE went over to TSM, I, I'm pretty sure this was made public. I remember hearing it somewhere. He wanted assurance that Bjergsen wasn't just going to... Yeah, it was in their TSM legend or something. He, yeah, that he wasn't just going to come out of retirement in the middle of the year and take over his spot. And so I think that 
they were very smart in the way they made this contract so that if uh, at the end of the year, Bjergsen decided he wanted to play again, that POE wouldn't be stuck in contract prison and then have to, you know, have be sold to some bad team or whatever the whatever it may be. They they put things in place for that. If Bjergsen does want to come back and does end up going to TSM, that POE can ultimately go to a new team. So that's pretty good for him. Yeah. Uh, other thing to note on the TSM stuff is uh, TSM Curry, who was the assistant coach to Bjergsen when Bjerg was the head coach uh, this past year. Uh, he's also probably leaving because he got the exploring options thing on Twitter. And if I know anything about League of Legends free agency, whenever somebody tweets saying, X team has allowed me to explore options. That means you're leaving. Yeah. So let's just be clear that it's still possible he stays with TSM because it because it is. But to your point, a lot of the instances in the past when this happens, they usually end up going to another team. So yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting because, um, there is some discussion that Bjergsen might not go to TSM, although we still have nothing concrete yet. We'll get into that when we when we do actually hear stuff. I think he's still going to TSM. But the, the reason why it's interesting is that if Bjergsen is going to stay with TSM, which I think most people would say is likely, you would. Uh, it makes me wonder why he wouldn't want to stick with the same coach that they had last year. Maybe Bjergsen doesn't want Curry as a coach, I suppose. It's yeah. possible. But again, that's all speculatory there, and there's nothing... Uh, there's no... There's no base holding up that theory just yet uh next up this is actually some pretty significant eu news uh grabs former g2 coach is rumored to be the new coach of team bds which is the new lec team who's taking over shalka's uh spot yeah which is kind of interesting i i feel like he probably got a pretty good paycheck seeing as he's been on a very successful team for quite some time I honestly thought there was a decent chance that he would go to TSM. Once I heard that they were looking to maybe get rid of Curry, because we saw the Curry tweet, I was like, oh, maybe they have a spot open. And, like, he's had a lot of success in the past. I was like, well, TSM could probably afford it. I feel like that's your default answer to almost every free agency thing. You're like, hmm, maybe he goes to TSM. Is that? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like you've said that a lot recently. Well, maybe I have, but what are the examples? I I don't know. I I think... uh, I don't remember who you said. It was some support and another jungler who you were talking about. Support and jungler. No, definitely not jungler. Come on. Maybe, maybe, it, was su- maybe it was support. Oh, it, okay. You're right. It was definitely support then. The, the thing I was thinking of, sorry, was Razork to EG. That's one thing you were saying. Mm. But, uh. Yeah. I, it, the thing is, uh, you might be right. My memory is goldfish. I, I admit that all the time. Mm-hmm. I just I don't remember that being my default. Uh, it, it is possible. The thing is, TSM has all the money. So, like, That's true. whoever. It's not whoever they want. It's not that simple, but almost whoever they want, it's true. they can get. But that FTX money, it's time mm-hmm. to spend. They got that uh, fat paycheck right there. I think it's honestly yeah. a pretty good uh, person to acquire if you're a new team coming into to the LEC. Grabs yeah. has been coaching G2 for the better part of three years now. They've made world semifinals or better all three of those years, um, especially in Season 8 with uh, definitely a weaker roster in comparison to their 2019 and 2020 roster with uh, Kiarnan and Wadid. Uh, so pretty, you know, impressive resume for grabs. I assume that'll also help in them acquiring players. Yes. Like, That's what my next point was going to be. It, it has to help, right? Yeah, you have grabs coaching your team as opposed to, I don't fucking know, like some, I can't even think of it, just a random EU coach. Like, I don't even know. 
Well, the thing is, it shows that they're willing to spend because I'm sure that's not well, a cheap then. coach acquisition. Go. That's not a che- oh my god. Just... Okay, anyways, that's not a cheap coach acquisition, and so oh, you, yeah. the team is obviously willing to spend. And so what that could mean, just want to make sure it could mean that they might actually go after Reckless. What if he and Reckless worked really well together? Maybe, Maybe. Yankos and Reckless didn't. I didn't think didn't. about that. Right? Maybe Yankos and Reckless or Caps and Reckless didn't work that well together. I hadn't uh, ever thought about knows? that. But maybe maybe, maybe the he t- did. Maybe they take all the fucking G two guys and they go to BDS and you know they wonder yeah, wonder reckless Mickey's going. <laughs> maybe dude. Yeah, dude. Off season is gonna be fun. I can't wait to get to it. Um, yeah. All right. What else? Well, one other free agent type stuff. Uh, Soaz, um, OG Soaz is apparently looking to rejoin a team as a player. Um, he was yeah. previously coaching for LDLC, which is an LFL team. LFL, for those who don't know, is uh, a European Regional League team who quite often produces very good teams and very good players that attend EU Masters. Um, and he, apparently he's looking for LEC, LCS, and LFL teams to join. Yeah, I could see it. I don't know if I think it's likely that he makes a comeback and makes it to the LEC, but I could definitely see it happen. I wouldn't be surprised. Let's yeah, that. most likely scenarios, I think he probably joins like an LFL team, a regional league team, than an yeah. LCS or LEC because we I already saw him. I don't think he him. wants to go to LCS. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we already saw what happened with that, and he got his ass benched by Immortals, and getting benched by Immortals, you're not that good. Dude, think about that. You got benched by Immortals, man. Yikers. Yeah, that is a yikers. What else? Uh, next up, some NA stuff. Uh, General Sniper, the 14-year-old prodigy, uh, broke the all-time LP record, which I think previously was set like around this time last year by Core JJ. Um, 1850, which is quite a lot. Was it last year that Core JJ broke that? I think so. I remember us talking about it. Me too, but I thought that that was this year. I thought that was earlier in spring. I mean, maybe. I just thought it was last year. Don't count on. Yeah, I can't tell you when it was. Anyways, um, that that is impressive, honestly, because yeah. again, he is he's fourteen. You're saying? Yeah, I think in EU it's definitely over two thousand. So, eighteen fifty is respectable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, he's fourteen. He's like, I don't know. He's like the next NA prodigy, pretty much. Yeah. I hope that he goes pro and doesn't go streamer mode, just for the fact that he could be some like otherworldly talent. Yeah, but, and we were saying like the best thing for his personal brand would be to go pro first. And play in the league and really showcase and yeah. then go stream if you eventually want to stream. Yeah, I mean, the probably the easier option would probably just to be go streamer first because that's kind of like a more of a guarantee that you'll have like a solid viewer base and solid revenue stream in comparison to going pro first. The chance of you failing and then, you know, your streaming career maybe not take off as hard or you just pop off, you're an insane pro and then you turn into like a a double if sneaky type guy who just gets like 10k viewers i don't think it can hurt him though even if he is put on a bad team in the lcs as long as you're still challenging for top spot in yeah. solo queue people will watch your stream and putting yourself in the lcs people get to know who you are as well it's just an extra little showcase i don't think it'll hurt him whatsoever all right uh last up kind of a cool little thing that riot's doing for the world championship is that they're partnering with mercedes-benz the car company for people who don't know that i don't know how you wouldn't know that <laughs> um but they're making championship rings for the world's winners hmm. kind of akin to traditional sports interesting yeah uh so i guess that means they haven't done that in the past i, I don't suppose. think so 
Yeah, not that I've heard of. They just I get guess the trophy. Cool. Here's the thing. So, well, they get the trophy and they get like a really small prize pool can in can like in comparison to other tournaments like the international, you get absolute bank when you win. League mm. not so much. However, you also get a skin. Um, do you know if the international does that? I don't really know I how... have no clue. That shit's terrible. Yeah, I don't I don't Dota okay. sucks. <laughs> okay. Have you ever even played Dota? Once, yes, it sucks. Oh, uh, I've never even played it, so I don't I couldn't say one way or another. Um the thing is they make bank from their skins right they make they get a cut of that mm -hmm. at least they get yeah that's players get bad. a cut of that yeah so that's pretty cool um and then now i guess they get a nice ring whatever that's worth i don't know huh okay i think that's it for this episode jnt when are we going live next uh the games end on sunday are we oh. gonna go live right after sunday or do you want to wait till Monday? I guess maybe we'll have to figure that out. I don't know, man. I'm not watching fucking football anyway, so... Mm. I'm not going to subject myself to three hours of fucking pain. The Jets have made J&T go all depresso mode. God, they suck huge balls. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so what should we... We'll just, we'll, ju we'll just go live the day at, or that day. We'll go live. All right. For now, the plan is Sunday, guys. But clearly, if you're listening, you you can tell that we're not all that certain. We're gonna yeah. plan for Ooh. Sunday, and if if it's not Sunday, we'll obviously let you know, and uh, we'll we'll tweet something out or whatever. Um, thank you guys so much for for showing up every week. We only have a few more episodes left before the year is done. Mm -hmm. Unreal. We got like three, maybe four episodes, and then that'll be it for the year. We'll go into off season. It's actually Probably. so crazy, so crazy how fast this year has gone by, but. Worlds is delivering. Um, I think that semis will be better than quarters. Overall, Worlds has been great. Um, so no, no complaints there. Um, yeah, thank you for the, the subs as well. And, and um, yeah, I guess we'll see you guys next time. This has been episode 163 of the Clown Fiesta podcast. Take care of yourselves.